It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. Today on the program, I sit down with the Senior Advisor for Media Relations. He's with the MLB Players Association. He's been a sports writer covering Major League Baseball for the better part of four decades. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Krasnick. Jerry, thanks for coming on the podcast. Good to be here, Brett. A lot of uh, fond memories uh, with you filling up my notebook many years ago. I hope a lot of it was in a good way, but I'm sure there were a few. A few, a few always well, always welcome. Always. Um, <laughs> tell me your new role uh, at the Players Association. I think you've been there for four years now. Just give me an oversight of it. Yeah, um, I left ESPN at the end of uh, 2018. Um, as you kind of know, ESPN's been a little bit tumultuous, you know, with cord cutting and a lot of the changes there. And so um, I was looking for a new landing spot and the people at the PA were nice enough to bring me on board in January of 2019. And um, it's probably been a little bit of an evolution in terms of what I did, what I've been doing. I think, um, you know, at the beginning, we kind of felt like maybe the fact that, um, I knew a lot of people in the media and people with teams and had good relations with players and agents that I would be out in clubhouses sort of, uh, you know, getting the feel for what's going on. And then obviously then COVID hit. <laughs> so we didn't get in the clubhouses for a couple years. And then, um, then we had, you know, we've had a couple of uh, labor uh, negotiations, which obviously puts a different slant on things. Um, now we've been doing a lot more content production. You know, we're doing uh, a lot of social media. Um, you know, I still am, am writing some, 
Um, I think we're trying to, the, the face of the media is changing, Brad, as you've probably seen, you know, I think, uh, look at the NCAA tournament, you know, you see all these, uh, cameras and locker rooms and, you know, people want to see players and their personalities. So, you know, we've been doing a lot more of that stuff and, um, it's fun because I, I feel like I'm getting back to my creative roots a little bit. Yeah, you, you mentioned that. It's so much different. I mean, you you kind of broke in in 88. Uh, I, I came into the big leagues in 92. Definitely the landscape of, of how we cover athletes and, you know, teams and, and different sports definitely has changed with the technology. Uh, and I, I want to discuss that a little bit later. But as for you, you always, as a kid, do you always want to be a sports writer? When did you first know? <laughs> Well, I was probably like most kids. I think I wanted to be a baseball player, you know, um, but I didn't have nearly the talent that you had or other people had. So I guess I washed out pretty early. And, I, I, you know, I, I always felt, I think, like I wanted to be a writer. You know, it was the thing I felt most comfortable with and did well. Um, but as a young person, you really don't think about being a sports writer because it almost seems like too fun a profession you know <laughs> it's, it's like would someone actually pay me to write about sports so um you know i went to college at uh, boston university and got out and really didn't um anticipate getting into sports writing but it was my first job out of college and then it just went from there how do you think baseball's changed since you broke in what's the biggest change you see and I, and I don't mean from a from a content uh perspective from a from a media but just the game in general i know this year and and we can touch on this a lot of you know a lot of rule changes uh but they've been slowly changing rules throughout you know for the last decade or so slowly here and there pitch clock uh you're you're just overall on on the biggest change you see yeah brett i think the biggest change honestly is you know, probably came with the analytics revolution. Um, you know, nowadays you have armies of uh, quantitative analysts, analysts and people in front offices. And I think it's changed baseball in so many ways. It's probably changed the, you know, the draft and the way they look at acquiring players. It's changed the way they develop players. Um, it's changed the way they value players. You know, the the guy who was sort of the the glue guy who, um, you know, was great in a clubhouse. I think they don't really seem to value that as much anymore. And to me, it's kind of unfortunate because I think, you know, the relationships and the, the human element of the game maybe has taken a hit with that. And I hope it's something we can get back to soon. I think, I, I think you're right when it comes to the, to the analytics of the game. I've, you know, I've, of course, at first glance, you know, my last year, my last time having a uniform on was 2008. Um, so I kind of qualify as that older player that, and you hear a lot of it that want to dismiss analytics out of hand. I think I've, I've studied a little bit. I think that would be ignorant for us as, as baseball players and major league baseball to just, Oh no, it's better when I play. So I, I look at it, there can be a lot of positive in the analytics, but like you mentioned, the intangibles. Uh, are you going to miss a, a great player that doesn't 
necessarily add up analytically. You know, I think it's a great training tool. I think it's great for people to evaluate, especially at the amateur level. But when it comes to big leagues, I, I think it's uh, you can get those percentages down pretty good X, Y, and Z. If you have this type of bat speed, if if you have this type of running speed, uh, you're in the you know 80th percentile. I think it's great for that. But I still think that there's that rare spot where you can miss a diamond in the rough and, and not see a great player. I look at a, and I don't know if necessarily if analytics were around then that Mike Piazza would have been off the radar, but a guy like that, that went in the, I don't know what he went in the 65th round became the all time greatest offensive catcher in the history of the game. Do you miss a guy like that? Yeah. I mean, I think more along the lines of the, you know, the David Eckstein's or yes, you know, that's a great... Polanco's or the guys who would hit the ball to the right side or put the ball in play. I mean, I think sometimes, honestly, I remember, I remember covering um, players, um, Carlos Correa, when he was a young player with the Astros and he had a big at bat in the postseason and he hit a ball to the right side to move a guy over, you know, from second to third, I believe. And he got back to the dugout and everybody was high-fiving him and congratulating him. And I remember analytics people kind of mocking that saying, why would you, you know, uh, celebrate a guy who made an out? (laughs) And it was a case of, look, you know, I was being pitched tough. Um, I was trying to do something to help the team by getting a run across And I just think that's a little bit, that message has been lost a little bit, you know, that you don't see those kinds of selfless acts being recognized in the analytics community. But I do think in the, um, in the player community for managers and players, they're always going to appreciate a guy like that. Right. Yeah. And Jerry, I think, I think that's where sometimes the analytical guys miss it. Um, because my experience in the game, the great teams that I've been on did stuff like you were talking about, move the runner. Uh, That 2001 Mariner team I was on, it seemed like every day we'd move the runner, sack fly, it's one to nothing. And that other team gets demoralized after a while. It's such a a psyche change, uh, and it just builds in the clubhouse. I remember remember one time, and and you talk about moving the runner over, really close friend of mine and, and obviously a great hitter, Edgar Martinez sit in the middle of our lineup in, in 2001 and there's a runner on second. There's nobody out and he hits a ground ball to second base and moves him to third in a, in like an eight to two ball game where we're winning eight to two. And I could tell Edgar did it on purpose. And I went over to him as early in the season and I said, Edgar, why did you give yourself up and move the runner? I understand if it's a two to two ball game, three to two, he said, Booney, cause that's the way you play the game. And if you play the game that way all the time, at the end, you're going to be better off for it. Well, I kind of took that to heart, and I started playing that way. And now all of a sudden, Johnny Olerud's playing that way. And now all of a sudden, Ichiro's playing that way, and Mike Cameron's playing that way. And if they're going to do it, the 25th man on the roster is going to do it. And the way you, and the, and the way that team formed a bond and that team chemistry that before then I, I really didn't believe in, You know, I was on a 1999 Braves team where we went start to finish, won 103, 104 games. And we just beat people up and people would ask me, is there a chemistry? I said, I I think you get the best players and that's how you win. Well, 2001 changed my mind 
on that. And it was the way we played the game. Each and every at bat, we had something to do. We had a, a plan. I don't see that much in today's game. And it goes beyond the analytical guys saying, oh, well, moving a runner, you know, oh, that's giving away an out. It's, it's beyond that. It, it's for how it sets the tone in that locker room and, and the camaraderie that we get. And I don't think that can be, that can be measured with analytics. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, and the last thing I want to do, I don't want to be one of those guys who, like, demonizes everything because I no. think... Some of the players playing now, we saw in the WBC, I mean, the talent level, the magnetism of these guys, it's incredible. Um, I just think that there's a balance maybe that needs to be struck with these kinds of things. And, um, you know, players, I defer to players on what they think is important, you know, and managers and people who've been around the game. And, you know, sometimes I think, that stuff gets ridiculed a little bit. And, um, you know, I was thinking of going to spring training and seeing guys like Ron Washington or Perry Hill or Bobby Dickerson, like these old infield coaches who are just out, you know, on the backfield or out early before the game doing these drills with the guys. And I hope we always have a place for these guys in the game, you know, that, that it's not just about analytics. It's about human relationships and getting the best out of players and, you know, sort of celebrating what they do well. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I was always sort of smitten by the romance of the game, you know, the relationships, the personalities, that sort of thing. And I think that's a thing that is important also to, um, Jed Lowry told me last year, I think he said the um, the analytics are good for the business of baseball, but it doesn't always make for the best entertainment. You know, for instance, and I'll pass this back to you, but remember how excited you would get if you saw a Pedro Martinez versus so-and-so matchup, you know, a starting pitcher matchup and how everybody felt a little bit more excited going to the park. Well, the opener strategy is fine, but does it really have the same appeal to fans in terms of watching two openers in a game, you know, in a postseason? To me, that starting pitcher, you know, Scherzer, Verlander, whatever it is, has a certain cachet. You played with, you know, Randy Johnson or whatever, guys like that. If he's going against a an ace from another team, to me, that just takes baseball entertainment to a whole different level. Yeah, I think definitely the build out, build up, and and definitely the the fanfare for a matchup like that is, is because at the the bottom line is yes, we play a game for a living, the players, and it is about wins and losses for us. But we're in an entertainment industry, and it's about the fans. I think that, and I'll get to this a little bit later. I think we just finished watching the WBC. 
And that was entertaining and the fans loved it. And there was excitement around the game. And I really like that. You know, I talk a lot about B uh, when asked that question, I, I've got my Brett Boone hat on for the player and how I approach it. But then I take, I take that off and I put my Brett Boone, the fan hat on. And, and I really enjoyed it. just seeing, you know, it, it wasn't just about the games, but the, the little stories about the games, the great Britons uh, being firemen and, and having jobs. And now they're playing against the, some of the greatest teams in the world and the greatest players in the world. I, I thought those feel good stories. I thought they were really cool and not to get corny, but I really did. 2400 sports is an odyssey company.